This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Ah, Rory Gilmore, we meet again. Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. And we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. I've seen all of Gilmore Girls, so this is sort of a lie. What did you do? And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So you didn't watch all of it? <laughs> no, I did not. Okay. You've seen like half of it now. I was just thinking that. That's why I said that. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season four, episode eight of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Hush. As well as Gilmore Girls, The Nanny and the Professor. Did you know that this is the last Buffy episode of the 90s? I did not. Well, I did because you told me right before this, but right. I didn't until you said that. They didn't even address Y2K. I think that the gentlemen were sort of an allegory for Y2K. Like oh, yeah? there was going to be this big hush where all the computers went down. Do you think that? Yeah, you know when like a TV goes blank and it goes like, mm-hmm. I think that was like supposed to, you know, it's like a hush. Right. I made that up. Is that clear that I made that up? Yeah. Okay, okay. You may hear our cat crinkling. We ordered a ton of food for him for Cyber Monday because it's usually on sale. It really wasn't. Everything's expensive. But um, we got a bunch of food. So there's a bunch of packaging around and we usually let him play with that for a little bit. Yeah, it's a little hack you can use if you have a cat. What we do is every year on Cyber Monday, we buy a year's worth of food because that's when it's the cheapest. Then we just store it. So we save a bunch of money doing that. However, if he dies, then we're out that money. So Whoa. I know. So it's just like keep him alive at least until the end of the year, you know? Yeah. I mean, until the end of the year of food that we got. Right. <laughs> We've also been playing a lot of the game Overcooked. Overcooked. Super fun game. It's like you're two little cartoon people, and you have to make a bunch of food in a little cartoon kitchen. And it's about teamwork and communicating and chopping onions for soup. Yep. <laughs> that describes it. And making burgers and stuff. It's just really fun. Yeah, it's fun. It can get, some levels are very hard. And so hard. It's sort of like, okay, that was less fun and more like I was sweating while we were trying to get that soup out. No, There's this one that we beat. It was so hard, and we finally beat it. And then when we turned it on again, it hadn't saved, so we had to play it again. I don't want to. But a lot of the levels are super fun. Mm-hmm. And four people can play. Maybe we should do Did you say, an and over- poor people can play? Yeah, poor people can play too. There's no <laughs> restrictions. A lot of games, you got to be rich. You do have to pay for it, so you can't be like super poor. Super poor. But anyway, maybe we can play with some fans sometime. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, We got some five-star reviews, Brian. Nice. I said that like they're five stars, but they're not nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you five because you wanted five, but here's the problems. <laughs> Thank you so much to August, Yes Like the Month. It says that, that whole thing. You think Yes Like the Month is their last name, and so their parents were like, we gotta name our kid a month. No. We don't want another Derek. And from Australia, thank you so much to 736-374-848 slash happyface36. Thank you. We had a delicious wine, too. It was a rosé. Yeah. It was organic. The 2020 Wonderful Wine Company rosé. Very good. Like, mm-hmm. what I would want a rosé to be. Someone on Twitter ordered Wink Wine. They sent a picture. They had just gotten their first box. They had totally different mouths than we did. I hadn't gotten any of those ever. I want to see their mouth. You want to see the wines they got or you want to see their mouth? Both. Okay. Well, if you want to- I'm big on mouths. Yeah. (laughs) If you want us to check out your mouth, we will, but a a way that makes the most sense for that to happen (laughs) is if you order Wink Wine. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Wink is an online wine company where you can take a quiz about what your mouth likes. And they will send wine to you that they think will also like your mouth. I don't know about this analogy anymore. We want to know what your taste buds prefer. Is that you or Wink talking? That was Giles. (laughs) (laughs) But they send you as much wine as you want every month. And you can get your first four bottles for $29.95 plus free shipping by clicking the link in our bio slash episode description or by using promo code Gilmoreslayer at checkout. I'm excited to talk about shows. I want to get right into it. Okay. Because this was a good buffy. Spoilers. Spoilers, everybody. Who really wanted to wait till the last second to find out if it was good. Stacy, can you tell us all about Hush? Yes. Hush is about some creepy, lanky demons that float into town and steal everyone's voices and hearts. And honestly, as far as demons who, like, murder people and cut out their hearts go, they're, you know, pretty nice. They're fancy demons. They're fancy demons. Fancy demons is how I describe them. Okay, so it opens on Buffy in class. Professor Walsh is talking about communication. Very topical. I, I understand why shows do this, but, like, honestly, I, like, hate when shows do this, too. Do what? When you're, like, the professor's like, today we're going to be talking about the exact relevant thing this episode's about. I don't know. It's just, like, so anytime, in any movie, especially horror movies, any movie, TV show, when the teacher's like, today's lesson's about, and you hear any bit of it, you're like, cool, that's 100% relevant to the plot. That's true. They do. Every, every time. Like in Hereditary. Yeah. There was a pretty obvious one in that. That one, like, actually ruined it, the movie for me a bit because it, like, tells you sort of what's going to happen. I, I don't, I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone, but, like, I kind of assumed that what the professor was saying was relevant to the plot. And if you think that, you're like, oh, that sucks. Well, did this one get ruined for you? Should we just not talk yeah, about it? Yeah, let's, you know, let's forget it. <laughs> I want to talk about it. All right. <laughs> professor Walsh calls Buffy down to volunteer to be part of a demonstration. She asks Buffy to lie on her back on the desk in front of the classroom and then asks Riley to come assist. And by that, she means kiss her in front of everyone? Like, this is all clearly a dream because this is, like, very weird and off. And Riley seems hesitant. Like, ugh, I knew the professor was going to ask me to do this. But the professor also says, like, be a good boy. Yeah. And Buffy says, this feels very strange. Riley's like, don't worry. When I kiss you, it'll make the sun go down. Like, what, what is happening? So then they just, like, make out in front of the whole lecture hall. Their first kiss, MBD. That's how my first kiss was. No one questions it. And then the sun seems to go down. The lights are off. There's no one in the lecture hall anymore. I don't even really get what any of this meant. It's kind of weird. The next part makes sense. Buffy hears some music. There's a little blonde girl singing about all kinds of creepy stuff in the hallway. And the gist of the song is that the gentlemen are coming, they need seven of something, and you won't be able to scream when they come. This had, like, very strong Nightmare on Elm Street vibes. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, the same song, wasn't it? Similar song, similar, like, lighting scheme, that whole kind of thing. Yeah. I do have to say now, even though I hate the trope of, like, the professors talking about what's relevant to the episode, since this clearly was a prophetic dream for Buffy, I'm going to give it a pass. Buffy wakes up. She was sleeping in class. She tells Willow she had kind of an intense dream. Riley's like, what? A dream? You guys talking about me? Tell me everything. (laughs) And he chases Buffy down the hall. Not really. She seems happy to talk to him. But Willow tells them to go on ahead without her, but then like kind of hides to listen to them. She's barely hidden. She's just like hiding behind a book. They could have totally seen her when they walked by. Well, I think this is just to let them be together, right? Is the idea? Yes. Yeah. But it's still like kind of evading their personal time. 
I mean, I guess she's sort of invested in this relationship since she's been helping Riley. The show do- is doing one of those things, too, where Willow's just like, I don't know, over eyes now. Like, that whole deep despair's done. Yeah. I mean, they can't focus on that forever. I'm nitpicking. But she overhears Buffy tell Riley that he was in her dream. Ooh. She's not telling Riley the deets, though, because it's a weird dream. He's like, what are you up to tonight? And she's like, oh, just patrolling, which she quickly corrects to petroleum. He's like, oh, right. Not going to question that too much. I'll be grading papers. And she's like, what papers? We don't have any papers turned in. So they both have their feet just like down their own throats in their mouths. (laughs) Like they've already both fumbled their cover stories. Yeah. He's like, uh, papers you don't know about. They almost kiss, but they just can't make it work. They're barely able to talk. They're just a mess. This isn't going well. Buffy calls Giles to tell him about the little song from her dream. And he's like, yeah, sounds kind of familiar. Could be one of your prophetic dreams, I guess. I'll look into it. And Spike is just loose in Giles' apartment now. They're just like full-on roommates. Spike's eating all his food. He said he likes adding it to his blood for texture. Not sure why he's just being a good boy and staying. I guess they're giving him blood, but like, I don't know. Angel managed to find blood on his own without hurting anyone. Yeah. We talked about it a little, like, maybe Spike doesn't have any money, and Angel was able to, like, buy blood from the butcher. Right. And, like, I don't know, maybe the butcher knows he's an evil vampire? Spike could, like, pose as a butcher and steal some. Sure, yeah. But if he goes to prison, that's bad for him. Yeah. Anya's- also, like, the military guys are looking for him. That's true. It's so- This scene doesn't really make sense. Like, I don't know that they would trust him enough. Like, he is a murderer who has tried to murder them. Yeah. I'd be like, cool, you got the chip, but you're still getting tied up, dude. Anya's pissed at Xander. She thinks he isn't treating her right and that he's just using her for lots of orgasms. This conversation is taking place in the courtyard and then they kind of burst into Giles' apartment mid-fight. And he's like, Anya, this is like kind of a private conversation to be having in front of my friends. Spike's like, oh, we're not your friends. Go on. (laughs) Giles is like, please don't. Speaking of orgasms, Giles has invited Xander over because he needs him to take Spike for a couple days while his long-distance booty call comes to town. Olivia. She was in the first episode. She's back. Willow is at one of her campus witch meetings. It's very public. There's just like a dude sitting reading behind them. You'd think they'd want something a little more private for their like satanic prayers. However, this meeting may open with a satanic prayer, but that's about as witchy as it gets. Turns out this is basically just a regular club. They're kind of more about like sisterhood and bake sales than actual witch stuff. And Willow tries to pitch that they actually, like, try some spells. And she basically gets laughed at and told that that's offensive. But this one girl, Tara, who's just a pile of shyness on the floor, is like, (laughs) well, maybe, maybe, maybe we could. And then, like, shut up, Tara. We see your zigzag part, but that trend won't last. (laughs) And then they're like, okay, wait, did you have something to say, Tara? (laughs) Speak. (laughs) She seems like she wants to back Willow, but is, like, way too shy to actually say anything or sit in a chair. She's just on the ground. They're like, how do we show someone's low status? (laughs) Seriously, the zigzag part I totally forgot about. It was like very fun to do at the time. Maybe I'll bring it back. Yeah, I think when the episode happened, you're like, oh, I remember that. And I was like, you remember witch circles? No. My school, I was, maybe it had witch circles. I was not aware. Afterwards, Willow's complaining about this meeting to Buffy. She mentions she wants to be able to float something bigger than a pencil someday. And then she asked Buffy about Riley. Buffy's like, yeah, it's not really happening. We can't seem to get our lips to do anything other than babble. And it sucks that I have to lie to him about everything. I want to stop there for a second. Okay. Let me take a step back and say I love this episode. I think it's great. But like Willow is just so like out of time and place in this episode. She's like, I wish I could float something more than a pencil. An episode ago, you were like a goddamn genie. You were whatever you said was happening. Yeah. 
like you made Buffy get married to Spike. Right. You made Xander a demon magnet. You took away Giles' eyesight to like suddenly be like, oh, I wish I could do more than lift a pencil. Like, you have. Well, you got offered to become a vengeance demon. She's kind of modest, though, like even at the end of this episode. I just think, I think it's poorly written. I think this episode clearly had a lot of love poured into it. And I think it was probably written before the previous one was. Yeah, I could see that. She doesn't seem to have any thoughts about Oz at all, which is like, fine, whatever, we've moved on. But then also, like, she acts like she hasn't done amazing magical stuff already. Yeah, that's true. And you'd think, in this episode, she's like, I want to do more magic. It's like, well, don't you think you'd want to be cautious about this, considering what you just did in the last episode? Yeah, like, your, your friends are like, maybe watch what you do. Yeah, like, you just did a lot of bad stuff. Like, let's just go a little slower, maybe. Anyway. Unrelated. I don't see why Buffy can't just tell Riley. I mean, I know there's a lot of complicated other reasons why that's complicated. Why she can't tell Riley she's the Slayer? Yeah, I mean, like, the top of the season, they're like, Buffy, let's try not telling anyone, like we did in high school. But, like, she's already told a ton of people. Yeah. Buffy can't date someone without telling them. Like, yeah. she just can't. It's too big a part of her life. Yeah. It puts them in danger, if they don't know. Yeah. And, like, also, this is Sunnydale. I know Riley's, like, from Iowa, but he's older than them, so he's been in Sunnydale. Yeah. Where she had been, like, outed as having some kind of powers. Mm-hmm. So, like, has has the word of vampires and supernatural stuff not spread to the college? It's a good point. I don't know. It just, it seems like you're going to have to tell him at some point. If I don't know. Maybe that time's not now, since... You're not, like, official yet? Well, they haven't even kissed yet. I feel like you should be kissing someone and making out before you tell them about your Slayer Syndrome. It's almost kind of like Gilmore Girls, where Jason and Lorelai can't tell her her parents they're dating. Mm. I mean, this is a little different, but that's a connection, right? It's a uh, strained connection, sure. Okay, okay. Anyway, Riley is talking to Forrest at The Initiative. He also wants to tell Buffy the truth about his secret identity. Forrest is like, well, you can't. But let's remind the audience of the importance of the voice-activated elevator real quick. (laughs) Xander and Spike are getting ready for their little sleepover. This also doesn't make any sense. No. Why wouldn't Giles be like, hey, Buffy, can you keep Spike at your house where your mother is aware of vampires? Yeah. And is, like, friends with Spike? Yeah, like, (laughs) Spike and Joyce get along really well. Yeah. Like, they'll have great times together, little marshmallow cocoa. Or why couldn't Willow and Buffy keep him? I could see that maybe there's a reason they couldn't. Because they're women, maybe? Yeah, because the RA might come in or something. I don't know. But it makes way more sense for Buffy to have him at her house with her mom than for Xander to, like, hide him in his basement. Yeah, like where Xander's mom, who doesn't know about Spike, tends to loom. Exactly. Xander's tucking Spike in for bedtime. By that, I mean tying him to a chair. And he's being kind of mean to him. But I'm like, Xander, maybe don't be a dick. He can just, like, talk all night and keep you awake. Right. Which is kind of what happens. I mean, it quickly becomes something else. But he just, like, starts mocking Xander for the fight he was having with Anya. Giles' little weekend fling shows up. He takes off his glasses, and not in an exasperated way, but in, like, a... He doesn't clean them. Yeah, it's more like a, I'm gonna forget all about researching the gentleman for a few hours kind of way. Yeah, Giles is all like, my face is gonna be buried, but not in a book. (laughs) Speaking of the gentlemen, they're here. The clock strikes one, 
it actually doesn't strike, but there's suddenly a giant clock tower in this town that I've never seen before. Yeah, does this thing just like Brigadoon into existence or was it supposedly always there? I don't know. But that's like their headquarters inside the clock tower. Yeah. Everyone in the town is asleep. The lead gentleman opens this little box and then we see breath escaping from the mouths of all the sleeping townsfolk. It's not breath. It's their voices, but it looks like breath on a cold day. The next morning, Buffy goes to the bathroom to brush her teeth and then goes back to the room where Will is just waking up. Buffy says something, but no sound comes out. Willow can't talk either. No one can talk. They can hear sounds, but neither of them, no one in the hallway, none of them have a voice. Xander and Spike can't talk. Xander tries to call Willow and Buffy. That was a dumb idea. No one in the initiative house can talk. So Riley and Forrest are heading for the basement. Is everyone that lives in that house part of the initiative or is it unrelated? I feel like they have to be, right? Because it's like no chance that someone didn't see someone go down those elevators. Yeah. So they go to the basement. Forrest is writing him little notes. He tells Riley that it's all over town. But remember, they've got to use the voice identification to get into the basement. And it turns out that's pretty important because if someone tries to enter without using that, they're considered hostile and this like gas will start creeping into the elevator. So that's like a nice moment of tension. And Forrest writes a little note that says, come on, come on. That was really funny. As Riley's like trying to override it. I don't even think Riley looks at it. It's for us. (laughs) Yeah. Somehow, Professor Walsh must know they're coming and, like, stops the gas. Or his code does. Yeah, they don't really show. But, like, she's waiting for them when they get off the elevator. Because he, like, tries a couple times and it doesn't work. And then she just, like, points to a sign that says, in case of emergency, use stairway. But, like, I would assume that meant, like, if there's a fire in the elevator, not, like, if the town can't speak. Right. I feel like it's pretty dumb of Riley to, like, he uses the voice thing. I mean, obviously, I think the idea is he forgot, but. Yeah, yeah. He was probably thinking about Buffy. He tries to, like, breathe on it to make it work. Earlier in the episode, he said his name, but in the previous episode, they were just, like, talking, and it worked. Didn't seem to matter what you said. Unlike the movie Sneakers. Right. Everyone in town is just destitute. Businesses are closed. There's a rush on the liquor store. There's a businessman just, like, sitting all catatonic in the middle of the street. People are praying. You and I have talked about this, but I feel like this feels extreme for hour one of this problem. I feel like there'd be more panic, like people trying to communicate, not just people giving up on life and turning to booze already. Yeah, the thing is like ultimate despair when there's just like no answers yet. However, I I mean, I don't know. I'm on the fence about how this could go. Like you've also seen other magical stuff happen in Sunnydale. And if your voice is gone, you don't know that it's coming back. So yeah, I, I just feel like people would be in groups like trying to figure it out. And honestly, now this would be so different with phones. Everyone right. would be like texting. Just thinking back to like the early days of COVID when everybody was like kind of running on the grocery stores. Yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know. I feel like the first day or two where things were like in lockdown, it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm going to go sit in the road and cry. It was like, this is weird. Hope we figure this out soon. Yeah, I didn't want to go the fuck outside. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But Willow and Buffy see a guy selling message boards for $10. That's a good idea. So they buy a couple of these. They go to Giles' house. Everyone's there. Giles has pulled out of Olivia long enough to hop back into research mode. (laughs) But he hasn't found anything yet. It's sweet when they show up, though. He, like, touches Buffy's shoulder. Like, they're there, daughter. And Willow rides high Giles on her board. He gives her a little side hug. Some of them are watching the news, which must be filmed in a different town because they can talk. But they're saying that no one in Sunnydale is able to speak. Some people are hypothesizing that a recent flu vaccination may be to blame. Topical. Topical, topical. And Sunnydale is to be quarantined until they can figure this out. 
Buffy wants to patrol tonight because she thinks there'll be chaos in town. And Professor Walsh is telling her little soldiers the same thing via, like, text-to-voice on her computer. The, like, Weather Channel voice, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel like it's funny because, like, it's gotten so much better now. Yeah, like, Siri... It's so antiquated when she's doing it. Right. Like, Siri sounds a little more human. This is, like, a the very robot man. Mm-hmm. And that was his name. It was a real man's voice they recorded. <laughs> She tells them they've got to go keep order in town in civilian clothing so as not to cause alarm. Again, people are just walking around aimlessly, alone. There's like a fire in a barrel. Like, they've started a shanty town. It just feels so desperate for night one. Yeah. I'd probably just stay home and watch a movie, hoping some scientists figure it out by the morning. I'd also, like, now be texting everybody, which wasn't a thing. But in that case, maybe I'd have friends over to, like, take turns typing to try to talk about it. I think if it was me, I would go to the liquor store and then take my business stuff to the middle of the street and then just (laughs) sort of rock back and forth there. And then build a fire in a barrel. Yes. Yeah, that's what I would do. These two guys are about to get into a fist fight and Riley, what a hero, breaks this up. (laughs) That's the one example of him keeping peace. He was keeping that peace, boo. Buffy also notices this fight and stops the guy from hitting the other one with, like, a lead pipe. I wonder what they're fighting about. But Buffy and Riley see each other. They embrace. And since they can't babble anymore, they might as well use those lips for kissing. It's weird that they had a kiss in the opening. Like, I don't really get the significance of that in the dream. Like, why not have this be their first kiss? I feel like that'd be way more meaningful than, like, a fake one. What do you mean? That was a prophetic dream. That she would kiss him later? Yeah. But not, like, on a desk in front of the class. Well, I mean, I don't know that everything in the dream is, like, exactly... But not everything in the episode needed to be prophesized. Okay. It's, yeah, it's whatever. For me, I just really wanted to see her get made out with in front of a class. Okay. And then uh, there's an audience for that. (laughs) And there was an audience for that. that. (laughs) And then the gentlemen come out. The gentlemen are very skeletal-looking people. I would say they're gaunt. They have, like, sunken eyes, wrinkly skin, tall and thin for the most part. Very smiley. Always smiling. Like, mouths never close. Bad teeth, though. All kind of different mouths. Are they bad teeth? Yeah, they're, like, silver. Are they? Okay. I mean, they're not, like, I don't know. They all have kind of different smiles. I don't think their teeth are, like, bad, like, rotten. They're just very pronounced. Sure. One has, like, a very big mouth. They're also played by, one of them's played by, uh... Doug Jones. Doug Jones. He plays, like, the Shape of Water fish man, and he's in Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Well known for being a lanky-looking weirdo that's, like, often never in his own skin. Yeah. They all wear matching suits. They float. I like that. Yeah, they look cool, man. I think the creature design is pretty great. Yeah, and they have these, like, weird henchmen that wear straight jackets and sort of shuffle on the ground ahead of them, like, flapping their arms around as the gentlemen float down the street. Those guys are a weaker link in this lore i feel like i think those guys are mainly there for buffy and riley to fight they're putties yeah they're putties they're just sort of like a and what is this ineloquent little thing with you yeah but i think it's also nice because they're sort of like the muscle right where i don't i wouldn't like it as much if the gentlemen were like putting their hands on people yeah 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 very tim burton music plays while this is all happening yeah feels very edward sister hands olivia and giles are snuggling in bed i probably didn't need to see giles nipple very um pronounced and pillowy (laughs) Olivia gets up to, I don't know, pee. She looks out the window and a gentleman looks in at her. That's traumatizing. It's a weird thing to see out the window. Part of me was like, did she do this? Did she bring this to town? Because like they kind of showed up when she did. But I I don't know that we're actually supposed to believe that by the end. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think we're not. 
Two of them float into Buffy and Willow's dorm. They make it seem like they might be there to get Willow and Buffy, but they're there for a boy. They knock on his door. The henchmen, like, hold him down. He tries to scream, but he can't. And the gentlemen float in, very smiley, very creepy. They pull out a little X-Acto knife out of, like, a giant bag that a doctor would carry around in, like, the 50s. Yeah, yeah. And they cut his heart out. Kindly. Yeah. And they take it back to their little hideout in a jar. Looks like between all of them, they filled like three out of the seven jars. Which was impressive, I guess. They clap for each other. <laughs> yeah, they're very proud of themselves. The main one presents his and they all clap. And he's like, stop. Yeah. All without speaking, of course. But it seems like a good time. I know I already said this, but the, the design for these guys is so good. Yeah. The floating, the like their mannerisms, like such a refreshing monster of the week. Yeah, I mean, they clearly were like, we got a real big episode planned for episode 10. Yeah, what are our design? Like, they just look so good. Like, oh my God, it's like, I love it. Yeah, the music and everything, it's just really cool. Yeah, and it's like, it's just so funny when you contrast these, like, beautifully conceptualized demons with the, like, ragtag, like, spirit Halloween compilations yeah. from uh, something blue, you know? The next day, Buffy happens to stumble into the dorm of the boy who was killed and sees his body. Giles sees in the paper that some people have had their hearts ripped out, and Olivia has sketched the guy she saw, and then Giles grabs a book of fairy tales. He instantly knows what this means. He calls everyone together in a lecture hall, plays some classical music to set the mood for some reason, probably just to, like, fill the silence, but I don't know that it was necessary. Wow. Wow. What? Giles is trying to add a little pizzazz to his presentation? There's so much pizzazz in this presentation. (laughs) Like, what did he not do instead of doodling all these things? There's yeah. just such intricate drawings in this. Did Olivia do it, maybe? She's like, we should add a little something fun. <laughs> but he does a little overhead projector presentation with those transparency sheets. Yeah, projectors were like, it's funny to like, would anyone ever use one anymore? No. <laughs> like, I feel like you don't need them. We definitely had them all through high school, though. Yeah. I don't really know when they went away. I don't even know how they work. There's mirrors and magic. You had to do a little spell before you could use one. Yeah. Only Giles knows how. Yeah. This is all pretty funny. Like, it's backwards at first. Anya's just chomping on popcorn the whole time. But Giles, through text and very elaborate illustrations, tells them that these are fairy tale monsters who want hearts. Xander, of course, interprets Willow's pantomime of heart to mean boobies. But the gentlemen come to town, first stealing everyone's voices so no one can scream, and then they steal their hearts. They need seven of them. Xander asks how they can kill them, and then Buffy pantomimes jerking off. She means staking them, but... This is on her. She clearly pantomimes Jurganoff, and everyone thinks so, even Giles, but his brain's a little... Olivia'd up? Yeah. Yeah. So she finally pulls out a stake to make it clear what she meant, but they're all like, no, that's not what you said. But Giles says that in fairy tales, generally no sword can kill these things. But one time, a princess screamed, and they all died. And Buffy's like, well, certainly I'm the princess. How do I get my voice back? And he's got a little picture saying that Buffy will patrol tonight, which she doesn't find to be a very flattering drawing of Princess Buffy. He's like, whatever, just go patrol. Everyone else, books. Later, Spike is back at Giles' place. He's having a nice cold glass of blood and gets a little blood mustache. And he goes vamp face for some reason while he's sipping this. He's never done that before. And Anya's napping on the couch. Xander comes in and sees what looks like a dead Anya and a vamped out blood mouth Spike. Yeah. And just freaks out on Spike and starts punching him because he thinks he bit Anya. She's like, hey, hey, I'm alive. And then he kisses her and she pantomimes asking him if they want to go fuck. Are their problems fixed now? Is that what she wanted? To see that he cared, I guess. Yeah. 
to, to be fair, that doesn't prove he cares. That proves that the thing he's fucking is maybe dead, and he was mad about that. <laughs> the thing he's fucking is maybe <laughs> dead. <laughs> right? I just had this uh, the other day. It was tough. This thing I was fucking. It's almost, well, <laughs> this thing I was fucking might have been dead. I was worried. It doesn't prove he loves her for her personality. It proves that her body is no longer alive, and he was upset about that. Yeah, I mean, if, if Spike had stole his, like, uh, fruit juice, he might have also punched him. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tara is off to find Willow. We see her, like, circling Willow's dorm number from the directory. But on her way to Willow, she runs into some gentlemen and their creepy henchmen. She runs into a dorm building, starts banging on doors, trying to warn people or wake them to find somewhere to hide. Maybe both. I think both. she somewhere to hide. She runs and runs, finally making it to what we think is Willow's door, because we see Willow in her room hearing a knocking. Did Tara forget Willow's room number? Yeah, it's confusing. I don't really understand why she didn't go straight to Willow's room. She might have just panicked and not been able to find it. But the knocking that Willow heard, I think, was just Tara knocking on a door down the hall. Because when the door she's knocking on finally opens, there's a gentleman in there. But Willow just, like, goes out into the hall. They end up, like, running into each other and then both get up, run outside, being chased. They end up in, like, the laundry room, and they try to move a vending machine in front of the door, but that is impossible with just your arms. Does Willow, like, twist her ankle? She kind of falls to the ground and is holding it, but that's never really addressed. Yeah, I think she just hurts her ankle a little bit. Anyway, she starts trying to move the vending machine with her mind, and it starts wiggling, and Tara's like, hey, maybe I can help. So they clasp hands and easily move the vending machine in front of the door together. They do some Jedi shit. It seems like it's mostly Terra. Maybe, I don't know the lore of witches. Maybe just two together are super powerful. We learn later Terra's very experienced, but she seems to think Willow's super powerful. But it seemed like Terra brought a lot to this. Well, I think some of it was like focus and like... Love? No, I mean, I don't think it's love. Hmm? They just met. I don't think Willow knows this woman's name. Yeah, I I didn't think they ever said her name. I don't think Tara ever says her it's name. It's the power of the part. <laughs> you saw that vending machine zigzag towards that door. Rewatching it, they do say her name in the meeting. Like the yeah. first person that addresses her mentions it quickly. I think that's the only time they ever say it. Meanwhile, meanwhile, while Buffy's out on patrol, Riley's team is also going out on patrol, and Riley notices shadowy figures up in the clock tower. He's probably like, wait, we have a clock tower? Yeah, what is this? We should probably check that out, right, guys? He goes inside the building. Some henchmen attack him. Henchmen have also accosted Buffy. She's able to fight them pretty easily. They're putties. I think she follows one of them to the building where Riley is. Somehow they both end up in there at the same time, and they both raise their weapons at each other and are like, uh, what are you doing here? I'm grading papers. (laughs) But there's no time for questions, and they can't talk. So they just fight henchmen. We also get to see Riley's, like, weapon, which is, like, a giant taser, taser gun with a stake in it. A harpoon taser? Yeah. Buffy notices the jars of hearts and some the gentle- band. They're there. They're hostage. What? Isn't that a band? Jars of hearts? Jars of clay. Oh, I'm thinking of the Taylor Swift song. It's not Taylor Swift. It's Friends song. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't talk. I'm done. I'm hushing. <laughs> but some gentlemen are there now, and they're about to take Buffy's heart. Heart is a band. No? No comments? I was told to be quiet. (laughs) Okay. Riley shoots at them, but his little gun fizzles out, so they have to keep fighting them by hand. There are several straight-up cameramen visible during this fight scene. I know. It's like a fun fight scene until you see just, like, a dude with, like, a rig around him. Like, three times. And this is filmed for widescreen, right? 
I think so. I don't really understand what's happening. I, I don't know. Maybe it was shot in widescreen, but TVs were still in regular screen, so they didn't think it mattered. I don't know. They definitely didn't know we'd be watching it in 2021. Yeah, there's it. just multiple shots with camera guys in it. I feel like, is that part of the gentleman's lore? It's like the gentleman, their little henchmen, their and camera, the camera crew. crew. <laughs> Seems like Buffy's about to get her heart removed, but then she notices a little box from her dream on the heart table. She smacks on the table, trying to get Riley's attention, and Riley's like, Riley, strong. Riley, smash things with gun. Buffy's like, no, open the box. Well, I mean, she thinks she wants him to smash the box, too. And then he does smash the box instead of just opening it like she pantomimed. Right. Well, it's funny. He he smashes like a jar first. Right. Which is funny because it's all dramatic. Like, oh, he's got, oh, no, he misunderstood. Right. He smashes the box. All the voices come out. Princess Buffy screams. The gentlemen don't like that. And their heads explode. That's yep. kind of cool. Which might be a side effect of that flu vaccine. Mm. Do you think they all got the flu vaccine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're murderers, but they don't want to get sick with the flu. No, it's gross, man. Riley and Buffy just kind of stare at each other like, well, so, now what? Uh, uh, what were you doing at this uh, haunted-ass clock tower? <laughs> the next day, campus is abuzz with voices again. Tara's telling Willow how she was trying to find her, hoping they could do a spell together to get everyone their voices back. You'd think they would have discussed this in writing, like, as soon as they finished the move the vending machine thing. Yeah. Like, what happened after that? They, they went moved home, a lot of other stuff. They went home separately, no further discussion. <laughs> just wave away. But she also says that she could tell Willow was different from the other girls in the witch group, and that she's been practicing witchcraft since she was little. Her mom was super powerful, just like Willow. And Willow's like, I'm nothing special. And Tara's like, no, you are. More on this later. Pretty good Tara. Pretty good Tara impression. Is she supposed to be super shy? I think so, yeah. I mean, when I say I think so, yes, for sure. I was like, do we, I'm sure we see her again. She's in like one more episode. Giles and Olivia are stroking each other. And Olivia's like, so all that shit you've been saying about the dark arts was like, real? He's like, yeah. So he told her all this stuff and she just didn't believe him? Yeah, that's the part that's weird, right? It's like, oh, I just thought you were just telling me nonsense bullshit. Yeah, and he's like, she said she thought he was being pretentious. He's like, well, I was, but it was all true. I was like, what? What, you thought this was just like a crazy man you were flying across the ocean to have sex with? Yeah, I'm sorry. Stories about like demons and stuff is not pretension. <laughs> like... Anyway, she's like- My girlfriend tells me that there's a ghost in her house. What a pretentious woman. Anyway, she's like- scary and he's like too scary and she's like i don't know but she means yes big red flag and giles is like bummer <laughs> and he jumps on his surfboard and he's out of there <laughs> yeah he floats away bummer dude <laughs> riley comes to visit buffy at her dorm and he's like i guess we should talk and she's like yeah probably and then they don't. It ends with them just silently staring at each other, which is cool because they used to have this problem where they talk too much instead of kissing, and now they don't know what to say. Yeah, now they don't talk instead of kissing. But also, what happened after the heads exploded? They yeah. could talk. Yeah. They too were just like, well, see ya. Let's talk about this tomorrow. It's late. No, you immediately have to discuss this. Yeah, I'd be like, listen, let's go shower together and discuss what just happened. It just doesn't make any sense that these conversations didn't happen the previous night. Yeah. Like, I bet Willow and Tara would have still been together when the voices came back. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. They would have been waiting in that room till the gentleman, maybe the gentleman just left and then they went home separately. It doesn't make sense that they didn't uh, discuss this afterwards. But that's the episode. 
Brian, was it a good one? You yeah, already said it was. Very good episode. You had some flaws with it. Did you change sure, your mind? Yeah, I had some flaws with it, but I think overall the flaws are pretty small. Yeah, it's very creative and fun. Like I said, I think this is one of those ones where they had great ideas and this episode's going to be great. They spent a ton of time on it. And then other episodes are like, yeah, I don't know, like, you know, it'll be a fun Willow's doing spells. Yeah. Throw some demons in there. You know what's funny? This is unrelated, but I just realized that the demon, the Hoffren, yeah. we've seen him before. Anya goes to check to see if she can get her powers back. And uh-huh. he's like, nah, I forgot. He, he's like funny. I totally forgot about that episode. Anyway, back to this one. Yeah, I think this episode's great. Creature design was great. The lore for the creatures were great. Just like so much of it was good. Like the whole idea that like Buffy and Riley just talk too much so they can't like pull the trigger on kissing. And you take the voices away and then they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're both forced out of their secret identities. It's great. So good. And also, like, creepy. It was creepy and fun, Mm -hmm. which is, like, the pinnacle what you want from a Buffy episode that rarely, like, really happens perfectly, but I feel like this one did it. It The fairy tale justification is weird. Like, I don't remember these things from fairy tales. Well, I mean, I think the idea is that Giles knows about some, like, back alley fairy tales that not everyone knows. Back alley's not height. Yeah. (laughs) Some, like, ultra grim fairy tales. Come into the alley, children. Let me tell you a tale. Who knows what he did when he was younger? (laughs) Uh, but no, I thought it was a, it was a really funny, epi- a really good episode. Funny, scary, stylish. A plus. It lived up to the hype. I liked it too. Great. I'm glad. Okay. Should we move on? Oh, let's do it. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed is another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 4, Episode 10, A Page from the Past. Page like the woman. Leo takes Paige back in time to relive the events leading up to the car accident which killed her adoptive parents. Meanwhile, two outlaw ghosts from the 1950s possess Phoebe and Cole. Okay, hold on. They're outlaw ghosts? To me, that sounds like ghosts have laws that they are breaking. Or they're just like outlaws, like they're like mobsters or something. Okay, yeah. I feel like they're like classic, like, eh, see? Eh, see? Wise guy, eh? I'll tell you what you don't see. You don't see me because I'm a ghost. So they're that. Right. So the whole time they're just like trying to navigate this world, but they're like alone and think they're in the 50s and are very confused by technology, probably. Yeah, super confused by technology. Also, like when people talk, they have trouble. They're like, I need you to talk a lot faster. See, I can't understand what you're saying. You're talking so slow. They should have woken up in Gilmore Girls Town. And if you don't say see at the end of a sentence, how am I supposed to know if I'm supposed to listen? Yeah. They try to, like, drive a regular car. Doesn't work out so well. They're looking for, like, a classic car. And they finally find a classic car, and they're yeah. psyched. Yeah. But this is not the main focus of the episode. Okay, so Leo takes Paige back to live the events leading up to the car accident. I think because Paige is all like, it's my fault. And Leo's like, no way, it's your fault. You're a great person. Let me show you that it wasn't your fault. Then she finds out it wasn't her fault. She gets to talk to her parents, and they're all like, BT dubs, it wasn't your fault. Uh, we really got to get going, but, like, you're cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know that her adoptive parents had died in a car crash. Until, I mean, I've known that for so long. You know, they probably did say that when she showed up, but I um I think I fell asleep during that one. Yeah. So she must have been, like, separated from their real parents at birth and then adopted? I mean, how many of her parents have died? Because maybe her real parents died, then she got adopted parents and they died. Well, her parents did die if she's their sister. At least their mom did. Right. Their dad? We I don't know how many parents she shares with these other women. I mean, I do, because we've seen the show. Right. <laughs> they have the same... 
dad. Right. Different moms. Uh-huh. But the dad didn't want her. Because right. he's like, I have three daughters already. That's enough. It's too many. So he gave her up for adoption. Right. After their mom died. Yeah, and he was like, hey, I'm going to give you to these people who don't know how to drive. Yes. And then they got... But no- he meant the adoptive parents, not Phoebe and Cole in this episode when they don't know how to drive modern cars. Right. But that's kind of a fun parallel. Mm-hmm. Any whose ways, we find out that it was these outlaws, time traveling, that end up causing the accident. Oh, my God. That's yep. such a good twist episode. I know. Is what I said when we watched it. Yep. But, Brian, that's a good idea. Yeah, I know. I'm so fucking smart, dude. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they go through one of the portals that, you know, Leo, Leo can left make. open, and it's it's sad, really. That's cool that Leo can still time travel in dog form. Yeah. It's sad? Well, it's sad that the parents die still. Yes, but. yes. It's it's cool that Leo can time travel. But after they do this, they're all like, ah, oh, man, we killed your parents, see? We feel bad about that, but like, uh, I don't know, uh, you can talk to the ghosts. We know where the ghosts hang out. So she gets to talk to her parents as ghosts for a few minutes, and that's nice. Her adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. And then Leo makes a portal back home. He, by the way, makes portals by, like, making a little circle, like Doctor Strange, but with his tail. Yeah. But this also traps the outlaws back in the 70s. Yeah. But, I mean, that's fine. It is fine, because then we at the end of the episode, we get a scene where they run into their past ghost selves, and they hang out. I think this makes sense. Um. Well, we didn't write it, so, I mean, that's just how the show went. Yep. Anyway. That's what happened. So this has been Meanwhile Uncharted. So then we watched Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about the nanny and the professor. Absolutely. First off, I want to say this. Thank you, Gilmore Girls, for giving this episode a title that made any kind of sense. You're welcome. So this episode is about a couple of things. Um, It's about Lorelai starting to date Jamie. What? (laughs) I did not... Catch that. Uh, the subtext is pretty clear, boo. I didn't um, get that from this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure. Obviously, things aren't going well with Paris and Jamie, right? No, no, but Lorelai seemed to be dating someone else pretty hard. Well, when she found out what Jason was doing with this no-panty-wearing girl, right. she started dating Jamie immediately. Anyway, uh, let me uh, clean some of that up. <laughs> The episode is about her starting to date Jason Mm. and the complications that are starting to arise because she wants to keep it a secret. And it's also about Rory having some issues trying to deal with the fact that she knows Paris is dating a professor. Mm. And also it's about Michelle worried that the people at the end don't love him enough and they're not going to include him all the time. So the episode opens with Lorelai and Rory walking to Luke's, discussing the pluralization of the words calls to sack, which is how you pluralize multiple calls to sack. I'm trying to remember if I learned that from this show or if I, because I, I remember learning that at some point, having a similar mind blown experience. I learned that in one of my journalism classes. Yeah. It's there's, cool. There's it's another interesting. another one too, like uh, something about attorneys. It's something like that. Mm-hmm. Lorelai can't let this go. She thinks it's wrong and uh, she does a bunch of annoying jokes about it. I thought it was funny. She says, like, pan's cake and, like, room's mate. <laughs> it's a funny bit. Rory's Is it? <laughs> I thought so, because Rory was, like, over it. So whether you think it's funny or whether you're over it, there's yeah, something for everybody. Yeah, I guess you someone you can <laughs> sympathize with. But when they get to Luke's, they find out that Lane is working at Luke's now. Not only that, she's so good at her job at Luke's that she's freaking Luke out. This is funny. Yeah, he's freaking out that he isn't pulling his weight. <laughs> he's, like, so nervous around her. 
She's probably just excited to be like around regular people food. But it's like a very funny dynamic. Like she mentions to Luke at some point that a table needs coffee. And he's like, yeah, right. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> like rushes over to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all very funny. Uh, and then Lorelai, like this seems weird because Lorelai's like, you haven't talked about Jamie in a while. Tell me about Jamie. I'm like, what, you, her your friend's like boyfriend who's not going to the same school? Like, yeah. How often does that come up? I mean, Lorelai would be interested in Jamie from what you've established. <laughs> She'd want to know something. Tell me more about Jamie. She wants to know. By the way, in the last episode, if you don't remember, Rory happened to catch Paris making out with her old professor, just like on campus. So we know that that's happening in the background somewhere. In the gazebo. Yeah. That's all we get for Luke in this episode. We don't like even see him again. He'll be in the next one. Yeah, I'm sure he will. But it was just sort of like, Luke's here, Lane's here, moving on. So then we move on to a meeting of the inns, folks. Uh, Lorelai and Michelle are meeting at Suki's to discuss some new details for the inn. Michelle is, like, kind of upset about this meeting at Suki's because every time he goes over there, Suki is, like, trying to feed him more, and he needs to keep a trim figure as long as super low-rise jeans are fashionable for men. Yeah. I didn't know they ever were. I don't know that they were. I don't know they were. It, this is actually very funny because Lorelai asks him about it. She's like, well, how low are we talking? He's like, I've had to do some waxing. <laughs> She's like, subject over. But when they get to Suki's, guess who's there? Tobin's back. Tobin is the old night manager from the inn. He was kind of like the opposite of Michelle. He is just like crazy nice and like over the top thoughtful. Buys all kinds of extravagant gifts for Lorelai and just like constantly trying to impress them. And Michelle is always very competitive with him because Michelle is just like super worried that Tobin is doing all this niceness as an act to get his job. And we aren't sure if that's true, right? Like, I feel like it's hinted at maybe in a previous episode that it's true. I think it's heavily implied. It's weird because he literally, at the end of the scene, like, glares at Michelle. Well, I'm saying before this episode, I feel like you could argue that maybe it was a bit in Michelle's head. But, like, after this episode, no. Because, like, after he's, like, super nice to them, he just, like, turns to Michelle and doesn't look like, I will get what I want. The part that doesn't make sense to me is it's, like, so obvious that he's sucking up to them. And Lorelai and Suki don't seem to notice ever. Yeah. Well, if he's like this 24-7, they might be like, this is just who he is. That's true. And there's evidence that suggests that it is like who he is, that he will bend over backwards multiple times for his employers. Like, he says to them that he had just moved to Utah because he heard that there were jobs for industrious Mormons. So he moved to Utah on this rumor and converted to Mormonism and did all the paperwork. Apparently there was a bunch. But then he didn't like being a Mormon, so he decided to move back. So obviously he'll do pretty much anything for a job. Like I said, they've been competitive, Michelle and Tobin, because Michelle was worried about his job being stolen. And I think this episode makes it very clear that that is what he's trying to do. Tobin, in this case, is babysitting Suki's baby. He's a nanny. Yes, you're right. He's a nanny. Hence the nanny title. Yes. Tobin is just like in full Tobin mode here, nannying the baby while complimenting the shit out of everybody in the room, being super nice, again, until the women aren't looking. And then he looks at Michelle like, I will have your job. Yeah. He's got like Machiavellian eyes. So good. Yeah. Later, Michelle calls Lorelai hysterical. Well, he is hysterical. He's not calling her a hysterical person. And it's not that funny. No. <laughs> He calls her, and she's the funniest thing. No, he calls her because he was so worried about Tobin stealing his job through kindness that he offered to babysit Suki's baby. 
Also, side note, Michelle keeps calling Jackson names like the Potato Man and the Farmer throughout the episode. And the baby It instead of he. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind that, though. He is French. Maybe they don't gender babies. I don't know. Also, he thinks Davy's name is Truman for no reason. Yeah, I know. He's like, Davy? The baby's name is Davy? He's like, yeah, what have you been calling? He's like, I thought it was Truman. (laughs) Where did you get that? Nothing like the name Davy. Anyway, Michelle is hysterical because he got the baby stuck. It, sorry, he, was crying, and Michelle invented a game called Baby Crepe, where you roll the baby in a blanket. Uh, and it was great. The baby was loving getting rolled up in a blanket until Michelle accidentally rolled the baby under the bed, where he peacefully came to a stop and fell asleep. This game sounds too violent for a baby. It, yeah. it sounds like you keep rolling the baby back and forth, but like doing that with a blanket, it would roll pretty fast. I mean, it depends on how far. Yeah, I guess. The baby's pretty little still. Yeah. Well, the baby went under the bed, and he's fine, but he's in a place where Michelle can't reach him. While he's telling the story to Lorelai, though, Lorelai is like, doesn't seem concerned about the baby till the very end. I feel like the whole time I'd be like, where's the baby right now? Yeah. Where's, where's Davy right now? You're telling a story like Davy's dead. Where is Davy? <laughs> no worries, guys. Davy's fine. They lift up the bed to get him out, and Michelle keeps saying he isn't ready and he can't hold it by himself, but Lorelai just trusts that he will. Yeah, I know. Like, okay, maybe make sure he's good. But also, I don't believe that Michelle could not get that baby. Right. It's like, Michelle is very thin. He's freshly waxed. He can get in there. (laughs) Did he say he didn't want to disturb him? Because then he would start crying again, though? Yeah. But, I mean, how else are you going to get him? Yeah. Call your friend. Yeah, that's true. Uh, They get Davy out. He's fine. Afterward, Michelle admits that he hates Tobin, and he's worried that Tobin's going to take his place. They have a heart-to-heart, and Lorelai tells Michelle that she and Suki love him, and they have nothing to worry about. They invited Michelle to come to their end. Don't worry about it. They say they love Tobin. They're addicted to Michelle. (laughs) It felt very, like, I I don't know. I feel like they should hire Tobin over Michelle. They like him more. Yeah. Well, I mean— Tobin, though, from my perspective, is, like, maybe a psychopath. (laughs) But they don't seem to realize that. Yeah, 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 I agree with you, yeah. As far as they're concerned, he's just super great. And they weren't really sure about hiring Michelle back when they first discussed it. Right. Thus ends the nanny story, though. That's the whole arc, is Michelle feels loved. Hmm. At that Friday night dinner, though, Lorelai brings up the cul-de-sacs thing. Richard's like, no one's ever corrected you for saying it wrong? Which I'm like, I doubt anyone would. But also, it makes sense that Richard would know the answer since he, he does know French. Richard and Emily are very excited to share their Northern European cloistered nun-made marzipan. I've never had marzipan that I can remember. Yeah, I don't know. It's, Is it, it bad? It's like, I don't know, it looks like a sugar cookie, but it's like almond instead of like flour, maybe? It's supposed to be like a dessert treat, and I've seen it on the British Bake Off. I don't know what it yeah. is, though, really. I feel like I've had it. But Lorelai and Rory are both like, oh, we don't want to eat this. And Lorelai's like, I'm not going to eat it. But Emily and Richard successfully guilt Lorelai into trying some. It's that pretty was funny. funny. Yeah. They're like, we've got little pigs for Rory and, well, bunnies for Lorelai. And then Emily's like, they're for whomever now. <laughs> so Lorelai's like, I'll eat some. It's actually pretty funny and definitely the way that Emily would manipulate her into doing it. Yeah. So she eats some and hates it, spits it back into her napkin. Then Jason drops by to drop off some papers. Uh, He was just in Australia. I think this is clearly an intentional move to, like, see Lorelai, right? Oh, maybe. I mean, he knows she's there on Fridays. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he was there to be like, hey, I'm back from Australia. Let's do something. Richard weirdly can't get over how fucking hot and fit Jason (laughs) is in this scene. He's just constantly like, doesn't he look good? Doesn't he trim Emily? 
God, I eat sushi off this man's belly. Like, just <laughs> chill out, Richard. Jesus Christ. You're not allowed to have lunch with this guy once a year, secretly. Which, by the way, Emily's over. Yeah, uh, that's weird. They don't mention it at all. It's weird that she's just over that. I mean, I guess we're not seeing every moment of their life, but... But weirdly, Emily is, like, still upset about Oz, which is like, what? Just get over it. Crossover event. Lorelai, like, sneaks out to make a phone call to Jason, who's in his car, trying to decide what to do with his marzipan. And they decided they're going to go on a date. Later at Yale, Rory's looking out the window, and she sees Paris arriving at school and making out with her professor through their car window. I feel like these two need to exercise, like, literally any discretion right now. You can't just make out with the students openly on campus over and over again. It's tricky because Rory needs to be able to see it. So it can't just be, like, in his locked office. But then, like, maybe have him be Rory's professor and she walks in on them or something. Or in a classroom gets to school early and he's in the dorm or something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's way too brazen about making out with a student, I feel like. I guess they kind of set up that no one's really back on campus yet, so... That maybe is why they're a little goosey-goosey this time. But the other time was like after a huge football game. Well, it's also one thing to kiss in a car. It's another thing to like lean through a window because I feel like that's much more of like a spectacle. Sure. Paris supposedly up until this point had been skiing somewhere with Jamie. That's what she told Rory. And when Paris comes into the dorm, Rory's like super awkward. She's like, "Uh, uh, you know, let me get out of your way. And Paris's like, oh, no, let me get out of your way. And Rory's like, oh, let me get out of your way. I wonder if she was skiing with Jamie. I guess we don't really ever confirm. I mean, it's possible she skied with Jamie for a while and then left to be with the professor. I don't know. Like, maybe she just got back from the skiing trip and then went to go see the professor as soon as she got back. Right. But things only get worse with Paris. Later at the Yale paper, when they're doing a, like a sort of hazing ritual, the older staff of the paper, so that's like the sophomores, juniors, and seniors that are working on the paper, spend the night, you know, hurriedly trying to get the paper published into the printer, right? While the new staff members, the freshmen who just joined the paper, they all have to wear paper hats that they made out of like issues of the paper while learning how the paper works by watching the old staff put it together. And also while waiting on them, like getting them food and like running little errands for them that's kind of cool i yeah i think it's super cool honestly i thought it was like a fun you know it's like it's a hazing thing but like not so demeaning you know also training kind of yeah it's it's, it's like it does serve a function too it's not just like you gotta wear a diaper for a week while we throw beer at you you know Mm -hmm. like the paper i worked on really yeah we didn't get a lot done so no Doyle gives a big speech and explains how this, like, uh, ritual works. Like, he's saying ritual, which after Buffy sounds like it's sinister. Yeah. But it's just, like, a tradition, I guess I should say. He also mentions a couple of the new staff members and some of their highlights. He makes a point of mentioning how great Paris's new article was about the Professor Asher Fleming, who he doesn't know is her lover. He also mentions Rory's, like, uh, really good reviews and Glenn Babble. Is this the first time we learned Glenn Babble's name? We knew his we, name we was Glenn. I don't know that we knew his last name. Well, this is the angry guy we've seen, like, hurriedly complaining through the halls about how everything sucks. Apparently, uh, he does cartoons. He gave up on making a cool hat. He just, like, rubber banded a piece of paper <laughs> to his head. That was kind of funny. Doyle gives a pretty good rousing speech about the tradition, but then his speech sort of just devolves into him ranting about how much Time Magazine sucks and how they're not good anymore, and it's clear that something happened between him and Time Magazine. And we find out that it's because they rejected his offer to become a Yale Stringer journalist for them, which is somebody who's like a freelance journalist essentially for them. So that's put him in a very sour mood. Paris gets a phone call and just immediately ducks out suddenly, breaking the paper hat protocol. 
You're not supposed to leave while you're wearing a hat unless it's to go get ice cream for people. And Paris doesn't come back at all. And when Doyle finds out, Rory like quickly covers for her saying that her aunt had to go to the hospital or something. And so it's like serious. So she had to go. And Doyle is like, oh, okay, well, you know, let me know when she comes back. I want to make sure she's okay. But she doesn't come back to the paper at all. And when she finally does come back to their dorm super late at night, she makes a ton of noise, clearly designed to, like, wake up Rory so she can explain whatever lie she's concocted about where she's been. It almost doesn't seem like she wants to lie. I feel like she just wants her to know. Oh, you think so? Well, the scene ends with her saying she smells like pipe tobacco. That's kind of a clue she's been with an older man. Like, I think she wants Rory to ask her about it so she can tell her. You think so? That makes sense. I don't know why else she would want Rory to know if she wasn't trying to keep it a secret still. What's she going to say? I have a secret fling on the side? She's not going to tell her she was with Jamie. Well, she just lied about Jamie earlier in the episode, so. Did she? Yeah, when she arrives, Rory says something to her. and She's like, yeah, I was having fun with Jamie. I told you that. I went skiing with Jamie. I think she did go skiing with Jamie. Well, she doesn't say, and then I fucked my professor. No, but I don't know that in this moment she's going to continue to lie to say she was with Jamie. I think she wants to tell her. Well, you know what happens in the show, so I don't know. I don't remember what happens next. But Rory doesn't want to know. And I think Rory makes it pretty clear that she knows something is up with Paris and she does not approve. Yeah. She's like, I'm not going to cover for you again. I don't want to know who you were with. I don't want to know. Happening around the same time, Lorelai and Jason go on an off-screen date to a movie where Lorelai apparently talked the entire time, which is pretty interesting for a woman who a few episodes ago had so many no-talking rules for her home viewing. That's for classic movies. Okay, that's true. But I agree, that's insane. They end up in Jason's very nice, really, really, really nice rich person's place. He's got all kinds of art and no knickknacks. He's got a dog named Cyrus who's fucking weird. Dude is like, uh, like, just sits there and stares at them. It's weird. Like, he knows one trick, which is to move a little to the right. Left. He can't do a little to the right. You're right. He does a little to the left, not to the right. And he knows another trick. He does know one more trick. He also knows how to turn around so that they can bang. Mm-hmm. It's funny because that's like exactly what Kirk was going to tell his mother to do when he had a date over. So I don't know if they all went to the same obedience school or what. Jason also offers her wine from a bottle that's already open. He was just out of town. How long has that been open? That's a good question. Well, maybe they pre-gamed before they went out. Maybe. It seemed like she's seeing his place for the first time, though. That is true. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I guess he could have maybe had a glass the night he got home, too. This isn't the next night. Then the two have some very physically enthusiastic off-screen sex, or so we're led to believe... Lorelai tells Jason she must have burnt off a ton of calories. Sounds like it went great. But then he asks her if she wouldn't mind, if it's no big deal, uh, if she could sleep in the guest room. He's an insomniac and a super light sleeper, and he can't sleep in a bed with a partner. She, of course, thinks this is just like an excuse to kick her out, you know? But he's very clear that that's not what it is, that he's being 100% honest. He just has sleeping problems, and he wants her so much to stay. He's even decked out his guest room to be nice as fuck. Like tons of books, booze, and a retractable TV at the bottom of the bed. Plasma, no less. It's so dated. He's got like a DVD and CD collection in there. Unless those are all his DVDs and CDs. But like to have, it's just so funny because you just have streaming stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you never be like, browse my CDs. Also, a plasma screen that big at that time was is cool. I yeah. have a TV that's bigger, no big deal. Okay. I just want to mention that to the audience. I have a TV that's bigger. No big deal. Not that the size of the TV matters. No, but my TV could burn a fuck ton of calories. Yeah, it gets the job done. <laughs> Lorelai hates all of this. She absolutely hates it for about two seconds. Uh, and then she happily starts watching The Daily Show in bed. 
The next morning, Jason makes her like a really nice breakfast and they make plans to go on a date and definitely have another sex night. But then Lorelai explains that she doesn't want to tell her parents about them. Jason doesn't like this idea, but she insists that she doesn't want to like upset her parents right now. Someday they can, but for right now, let's just keep the secret. Jason's like, secrets are bad, but I'll do it. We as an audience are like, yeah, this is going to blow up in your face for sure, but do it. Do it. She, by the way, had a very productive morning. She watched like an entire movie, took a bubble bath. I'm like, what time is it? This is like a Tuesday morning. You probably have to be to work by like eight or nine. It must be like seven right now. Did you get up at like four to do all this? Yeah. Well, she doesn't have to be to work. She doesn't have a job. That's true. But he probably does. So I bet it's pretty early. I mean, if if it's like the weekend. It's Tuesday. Their date was Monday night. That Friday, though, at Friday night dinner, Lorelai arrives along with a bunch of other people with tickets. It's <laughs> funny. It's funny because she shows that, yeah, and then like a bunch of people show up behind her and she's like, huh, what? And then some woman's like, I need your tickets. The Historical Society is using the Gilmore House as a walking tour. And the walking tour has gone on much later than it was supposed to. So people are just walking around admiring the house while the family eats. It's pretty funny. Like one person walks by and is like, oh my God, they hired actors. And Richard's like, we are not actors. (laughs) They could have shut the door to the dining room. There's doors on it. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, like some old man starts using their like piano and Richard gets furious and goes and yells at him. That's super funny because Emily's like, he was 85 or something. And he's like, never too old to learn a lesson. (laughs) There's also a fun line here where Lorelai says that now that Rory's a full-fledged newspaper staff member, she's going to have to get a nickname and start to learn to talk really fast like reporters do. And she's like, faster than I already do. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, this show's quick. And, though, the most important part of this dinner, Emily and Richard bring up the date that Jason brought to their last event. Emily thought she was beautiful and super dumb and she didn't wear undergarments. And she's clearly a gold digger and she's a perfectly good first wife for Jason, who Emily, by the way, thinks is a con artist. Richard kind of downplays all this. He's like, no, she didn't seem that bad. So it's, it's, I wonder, like, if she's as bad as Emily's making her seem? Right. Or if Richard's just trying to defend Jason. I mean, later Jason makes her sound not so great, too. But he might also be trying to downplay it to make Lorelai not upset. Right. It's hard to say. Emily, like, clearly, like, hates Jason. I don't know. Like, sometimes she's nice to Jason. But then, I don't know. Obviously, she hates Jason, too. This is, like, one of the few moments where Richard is really like, no, Emily, you're being too much. Yeah. But Lorelai doesn't like this. Yeah, but obviously this is a shock to Lorelai, who thought she was dating Jason exclusively. So the next day, Jason happens to stop by the inn because he really wants to see Lorelai's inn. She keeps talking about it. But obviously she's upset about the information she learned at Friday night dinner. Jason says to her that he wanted to take Lorelai. He has to take dates to some of these functions with all these rich people. He just has to. And he would rather take Lorelai. He doesn't want to be with Crystal at all because Crystal's dumb as a bag of rocks. But because of the rules that Lorelai put in place, he doesn't have an option. So Lorelai thinks about this for a little bit. And then she's like, okay, it's fine. He's like, why don't we just tell your parents? And then I can bring you to every one of these functions. And she's like, no, we can't tell my parents. And she's like, I'll just, I'll just adjust. It is complicated because you know they will hate it, like Emily especially. But it also is like the longer you wait, the worse it's going to be when they find out. Yeah. So I don't know if Lorelai's like, maybe it won't work out. Then I never to tell them. Been stupid that I told them. Yeah. But I don't know. They seem happy. She also probably doesn't want to go to all these events that her parents are at. Yeah, I can only imagine. And apparently Michelle knows everything about Fonzie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because they're like, uh, you know, Fonzie worked out of a bathroom. And he's like, no. Actually, this, 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 and this, and this about Fonzie. 
Like, whoa, okay. You watched a lot of Happy Days, Michelle. Well, you know, he had to do something while his waxing healed. Oh. The episode ends with Rory starting her first new class of the year with her new professor, Asher Fleming. Who she didn't know was teaching the class. No. So either she was expecting a different professor and he took over, or this doesn't make any sense. Because Rory is known for, like, choosing her classes yeah. way ahead of time. Yeah. She, like, chose Yale because it had all the classes she wanted. I yep. assume she's, like, memorized every professor that teaches every class. Absolutely. You're totally right. This is dumb that she didn't know. Agreed. Unless he's filling in or... Changing something, which you think someone would say. She yeah. says to someone, like, he's teaching? And someone's like, yeah, isn't he cool? So clearly people like him and respect him. But they didn't know he was teaching the class. That is weird. Very weird. Also, this scene is weird for other reasons. Like, mm-hmm. he just comes over and is, like, creepy as shit to her. Dude talks like a goddamn old-timey vampire. <laughs> he comes over and it's the first thing he says is like, ah, Rory Gilmore, we meet again. <laughs> is that exactly what he says? It's not even an exaggeration. That's the words he says as he says them. He's like, we have someone very important in common. The master. <laughs> you no, think yeah. he means Paris. Yeah, he comes over to her and he's like, he's, he's looking forward to having her in class because after all, it seems very natural, doesn't it? Especially since you and I have someone very important in common. Even without the double meaning, this comment is super weird. Why don't you just say, because I know your granddad. Which he does, but then that's very weird. They're just in front of the entire class. He's like, I will be treating you specially. I know this girl's grandfather, everyone. She's important to me. She's getting an A. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say it, like, to the classroom, but anyone could have heard that. But this is, like, the wording is just all so weird. It's clear the, dire- the writers were like, what if it could also be about Paris? What words could we use? <laughs> like, <laughs> someone important to me, your granddad, not Paris. Like, I don't know. I, I hated it. Right. <laughs> Super sloppy. But then he's like, and welcome to contemporary political fiction. Actually sounds like a fun class where they're going to debate books and stuff. I'm, I'm down to that. But that's where the episode ends. My prediction, she bangs this dude. Whoa. Yeah. He's just, dude is hot. Her and Paris bang this dude? Yeah. What do you think the show becomes, Brian? It gets weird. So once Lorelai starts banging Jamie yeah. to get back at Jason for what he does with Crystal in two episodes. Yeah. Then Rory's like, well, I could do anything. And she starts hooking up with Fleming. Wow. This, of course, upsets Tana, who's also been banging Fleming. Oh. Yeah, there's a lot of people. You should just stay in that dorm. There's a scene we also didn't mention where Rory tells Lorelai that Paris is banging an older professor. And they're both super grossed out by him being grandpa's age. Yeah, I was going to mention that scene, actually. There was a rando scene where they're at the apartment and Lorelai's eating some pizza and she drops it on the ground. It's a house. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess I haven't lived in a house in a long time, so places people live are just apartments. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so she is in her efficiency, and she's eating some pizza, and she drops it, and Rory comes home, so she just, like, brushes the whole, like, all this pizza crust under the dishwasher. And Rory calls her out for it, but it's sort of like this, oh, yeah, I'm messy. I'm like, no, that's how you get rats. Yeah. Those are, that's a lot to, that's not like a, a Cheerio. Just pick it up. Yeah, there was also, like, marshmallows and stuff down there. It's, it's a lot, man. Honestly, if if you take away the humor from this episode, Lorelai's a bit of a mess. That's crazy what she's doing. So, do you think this is a good episode of Gilmore Girls? Um, kind of. Mm-hmm. I liked the Lorelai and Jason stuff. Yeah. But I don't, I didn't really like the Paris stuff that much. I liked the premise of the newspaper night. Yeah. I wish almost that we had seen that. But I, yeah, yeah. I would have rather seen more of that than like the scene where Paris is like trying to wake up Rory. Yeah. Or Rory dealing with covering for Paris. Yeah. But nothing was really that bad. 
Agreed. I don't think it was a bad episode at all. I don't know that it's like a super memorable one. The date is very memorable. I really, really remember a lot of that scene. Was that the first show you saw where people were having sex and talking about it? I don't think so. Um, but yeah, it was funny. The Richard and Emily stuff was fun. It is weird that they don't acknowledge that Richard and Emily are maybe like in a fight. Right. Because they also just like went on a vacation together. Yeah. That will come back. That's not just done. But uh, yeah, it, like you said, it's like the Willow being sad about Oz. They just had to not deal with that this episode. Right. And the, the Michelle stuff was fine. I, I like that he had sort of a meaningful scene written for him. Yeah. And it was pretty funny. Yeah. Tobin's great. I want to see Tobin get into a fight with uh, Bruce. The actor who plays Tobin is named Bruce. So we could have a Bruce on Bruce fight? Yeah, if you want. I mean, it's no. I don't know where these people are right now. You liked it too? Yeah, I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was a great episode. Didn't think it was a bad episode. So I would say it was good. So which episode do you think was better? Uh, I mean, I think Buffy was the clear winner here, honestly. Yeah, yeah. That's a great Buffy episode. It was a great Buffy, and it was just a fine Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with Gilmore, but Buffy was just like really checked all the boxes. So Yeah, Buffy wins for sure. I'm excited to see where these seasons go. We know this stuff with Jason's going to blow up in her face. It's just like the ticking time bomb. Like, we have a secret. Okay, well, secrets get told. That's what happens in shows. Tick, 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 boom. There's never a secret that never gets told. I'm excited for some episodes coming up with Buffy, too. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the hell happens with Buffy and Riley. If you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 4, Episode 11, In the Clamor and the Clangor. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 11, Doomed. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you think Richard and Emily should be still fighting about his ex? Do you think Buffy can be in a relationship without telling them that she's a slayer? Do you think that old man learned his lesson? Why is Spike just chilling at Giles' house? Yeah, why is he there? Why is Olivia in denial about the truth Giles has been telling her? (laughs) Do you guys think the professor's being a little too brazen? Does Xander love Anya? She wants to know. Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post all kinds of interactive and behind-the-scenes content. And for more bonus content, you can subscribe to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Stacy, where we post weekly video reviews of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties, and share other bonus content. And shout out to all of our new Patreon subscribers, Sam Mick, Kate Shea, Alicia Skipper, B. Weingarts, and Jessica Barron. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. If you want to support our podcast, you can do so by subscribing to our Patreon or by taking advantage of our wine partnership with Wink.com or by making a one-time donation. All these options are linked in the episode description and in our social media bios. You can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love hearing your feedback, and it really helps get our podcast discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. And if you leave a review, we'll give you a shout-out in an upcoming podcast. For even more comedy content not related to the podcast, follow us at Brian and Stacy. Brian with a Y, Stacy with an EY. That's right. We also make comedy sketches, play board games, and review movies in a similar style to our podcast. For all that and more, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. And if social media is not your thing... You can send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. Hush, little baby, don't make a sound. That's not the words. Because the gentleman got the camera crew around. Got the camera crew. They're going to film everything you do. Okay. <laughs> yes, more, please. You, <laughs> you're going to lose your voice if you get a shot for the flu. <laughs> Them's the words. Them's the words.